Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. In the neighborhood where Lisa and I grew up, four kids was a small family. Our near neighbors had 12 kids. Fortunately, they had one of the biggest houses, three bedrooms, each with two sets of bunk beds. Their parents slept on a pull-out couch, a Castro convertible in the family room with the only television. There was masking tape on the floor of the bedrooms, dividing them in two. If any of your stuff was over the line, war was declared. Someone was always yelling. Someone was always fighting. It was utter chaos from morning till night. Unsurprisingly, the kid right ahead of me became an EMT and an ambulance driver in New York City. The kid my age became an emergency room nurse. Chaos was all they'd ever known, and they adapted beautifully. The kid right under me became a librarian. (laughs) I remember that while everyone else's stuff was strewn all over the place, her clothes were neatly folded into her bureau. Her desk at school was always clean and tidy. Her handwriting was beautiful. That was an adaptive response to chaos, too. During the pandemic lockdown, we were shoved off center, forced to surrender so much of what was normal as we slid off the edge into that great unknown. Some of us were suddenly assiduously researching and tracking how we were going to beat this threat. Others assumed it was the end of human life on Earth. I remember knowing exactly one thing, and one thing only. It was absolutely essential that we stick together. Each of us showing up in our own little Hollywood square, together while apart, resisting the urge to catastrophize into the future, we made our way through the chaos together. It turned out to be an excellent recipe for resilience. Early on, Reverend Beth gave us the metaphor of the great pause. Were we going to squander it or get curious and figure out what we might make of it? In other words, it was bad, very bad. But what if it weren't all bad? I'm thinking again today about chaos, our unwelcome companion who may just have so much to teach us if we choose to welcome it. Might you learn something about yourself and those you love? Are you going to do that in a state of complete misery? Or are you going to allow for the possibility of grace? That's a choice 
It's up to each of us. And as Spanish cellist Pablo Casal said, not to decide is to decide. In other words, if you don't make a decision, it will be made for you. Better to choose, my friends, and propel ourselves headfirst into the unknown. As with so much in life, the only way out is through. I know people who will find a problem or create one where none previously existed, who are fundamentally addicted to drama. I vastly prefer order to disorder, tidy to messy, peaceful to turbulent. Whichever camp you occupy, unexpected events and overwhelming situations are always part of the territory. It's useful to have some skills at hand for navigating them. Chaos is not your enemy, writes Fast Company Stephanie Vaza. In other words, it just might have some gifts for us. There's something fundamental in the belief system of how you view it. Question, how do I own the moment and change it into an opportunity for good? How can I move forward? Answer, separate the things you can control from those you cannot. Once you acknowledge what is within your grasp, determine how best to spend your time and energy. There will always be more things to solve than there are hours of the day. Ultimately, navigating chaos is about making things better than they are. In the face of chaos, four directives. One, take stock of the full catastrophe. Two, mind your mind. Three, engage in nourishing outlets. And four, Limit the sources of stress that contribute to the chaos. Very briefly, let's fill these out. So one, take stock. American Tibetan Buddhist nun Pema Chudrin advises, no more struggle. Whatever arises, she writes, we can look at it and see it for what it is without calling it names or hurling rocks at it. We can stop struggling and see its true face without calling it the enemy. This spiritual practice is not about winning or losing, but about ceasing to struggle and relaxing with what is. Two, mind your mind. Scattered focus creates additional stress. Focus on what you can control. Bring your concentration to one thing at a time. Three, engage in nourishing outlets. Read, listen to music, get outside, take a walk, eat beautiful food, pat your animal companion, do something to help someone else, especially 
connect with those you love. Share your struggles and listen to theirs. It helps to remember we all experience the challenges of chaos. And four, limit the sources of the stress that contribute to the chaos. Do you need to step away or cut yourself off from the news or from alcohol? Nourish yourself. Rest. Lying awake at night helps nothing and no one. It's a dance, a balancing act between embracing the madness and resting on the scaffolding that helps you and upholds you, those deep roots that keep you from toppling over in the storm, that allow you to bend rather than break. I've told the story before of the woman who during World War II answered her door to an officer of the armed forces and a chaplain. Her husband was away at the front. There could be only one explanation for their visit. Instead of fainting, she opened the door wide and invited them in. It's time for tea, she said. Please join me. Madam, said the chaplain, I'm afraid our errand is a very sad one indeed. The new widow replied, tea gives order and refreshment to the day. All terrible news is easier to bear over afternoon tea. That's some pretty sturdy, inspiring scaffolding. When I was training for the ministry, I did two clinical rotations over two summers at Morgan Memorial Goodwill Industries here in Boston. A noble proposal was put forth that state institutions warehousing people with mental illness and other disabilities be closed with the promise that residents be moved into intimate, homey settings. Ronald Reagan was president. The institutions were closed, but those homes did not materialize. The streets were flooded with bewildered people who had little or no capacity to care for themselves. Goodwill pivoted its services, throwing open the doors of its cafeteria and sheltered workshops, making room for those who were suddenly dispossessed of safety and everything familiar. This is what a colleague wrote about her experience of that time. Our halfway house was about to be flooded. We only had so much room. Whom to feed, whom to shelter, whom to clothe. Deep questions to be faced with no preparation. An hour before we opened, we agreed to sit together in silence. Prayer, meditation, just calming down. And then, we opened the doors. Everything we did, we agreed to do with love. Those people we accepted, we accepted with love. Those we turned away and helped find alternatives, love. 
Everyone seemed to understand. The differences between us, staff and applicants, seemed less solid. The whole idea that it had to do with mental illness even seemed a little artificial. Nobody was really thinking that much or had time to or needed to or something. It was all just coming from the heart. So many people, so many problems. Somehow, it all went smoothly. Three days later, we were full. On the fourth day, we sat down to discuss what had happened. Our director asked, can we come to order? And we all started laughing. Someone started, so, so. Then someone else actually stood up to speak. These past three days, that was all about who we really were, the way we are. That is the truth about us, deep down. There was a moment's silence. Someone said, right. And that was the meeting. We waited a little longer, breathing together, and someone let out a long, beautiful sigh. We're not used to things becoming clear like that. But after a minute or two more, people gradually got up and went back to work. Tibetan Buddhism has 59 slogans used in training the mind of the practitioner. One is, when the world is filled with evil, all difficulties should be transformed into the path of enlightenment. Another is, change poison into medicine. This is what we're aiming to do with chaos. In simplest terms, the instruction is to use difficulties as gateways to spiritual awakening. In her book, When Things Fall Apart, Pema Chodron writes, there are three poisons, craving or addiction, aggression, and ignorance, which includes denial or the tendency to shut down. These poisons are the seeds of compassion and openness. When suffering arises, the instruction is to let go of the storyline and breathe in. When anything difficult arises, instead of trying to let go of it, to get rid of it, we breathe it in. Not just the anger, resentment, loneliness, and fear that we might be feeling, but the identical pain of others who in this very moment are also feeling rage, bitterness, isolation, or fear. We breathe it in for everyone. Swirling in chaos when we remember that the poison is part of the human condition. It's our kinship with all living things, the very thing required to understand what it's like to be in another person's shoes. Instead of pushing it away or running from it, we breathe in and connect fully.
We do this with the prayer that all of us may be free of suffering. And then we breathe out, sending forth a sense of spaciousness, of ventilation and freshness. Breathing in and breathing out. In the Tibetan tradition, there are many stories about the cave-dwelling yogi, Milarepa. In one of them, one day, he left his cave to go gather firewood, and when he returned, he found that a big, boisterous crew of demons had moved in and taken over, lounging around, eating his food, and making a huge mess. There were demons everywhere. Milarepa began yelling, telling them to leave immediately and shooing them out of his cave. They were completely unfazed. In fact, they loved seeing him all worked up. They loved the chaos. Milarepa changed tacks. He decided that if chasing them out didn't work, maybe hearing the teaches of the Buddha would change their minds and get them to leave. So he began to teach. He taught about impermanence and kindness and compassion. No one moved. They simply stared at him with their fiery eyes, and some fell asleep. Realizing that he had failed miserably and that the demons would not be manipulated into leaving, Milarepa acknowledged that perhaps they had something to teach him. With a deep sigh, he bowed deeply to each demon in turn, saying, we will share this space and I will open my mind to whatever you have to teach me. Immediately, all the demons left, but one. The last demon was truly terrible. He was huge and especially fierce with terrible fangs. Stepping over to face him, Milarepa bowed and surrendered completely, holding nothing back. Eat me if you wish, he said, moving to place his head in the demon's terrible mouth. At that very moment, the last demon bowed low and dissolved into space. Beloved spiritual companions, we may not have demons in our cave, but chaos in our lives is a given. It will go when it goes, or maybe it will go when we greet it in peace, since chaos only thrives in chaos. And when we realize it has something to teach us, chaos just might become medicine. Can we come to order? Amen. Adapted from my beloved colleague, Mark Bellatini. Go in peace. Live simply, gently at home in yourself. Speak the truth or speak not. Act justly. Remember the depth of your compassion. Forget not your power in the days of your powerlessness. Crave peace for all people, beginning 
with yourself. Let us go forth now with the dream of that peace alive in our hearts. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.